Hear the word of God. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 8 begins simply with this, above all. I don't know where you get all the information that you get in order to live your life. It can come from a variety of places, your parents, professors, teachers, employers, friends, neighbors, various media. But it never ceases to amaze me that when we open the Bible, it's God who is speaking. Now, I frankly don't think I have a category quite in my brain for that. To realize that as I open the scripture and I read these words aloud, or simply read them, that it's God who is speaking, the creator of the universe, the one who made me, the one who, when he speaks, creates, the one who is sovereign over all things, the one who knows all things. Every high and lofty thought you can think about God is true, and he is the one who's speaking to us through the scripture. Now, something tells me I should get cold chills when I read the Bible. And every once in a while I do. Frankly, I get cold chills from a good seventh inning sometimes. But it's amazing, isn't it? And then when we read, God say, above all. It should really capture our attention. Because this isn't just your professor saying, now the most important thing I want to tell you today is, it's not even your mom saying, today, here's what I want. It's God who's saying, Above all, of all the things I could tell you, of all the things necessary for you to know, of all the things that I want you to hear right now, this is it. This is above everything else. I'm the God of the universe, and I could tell you all sorts of things because I know everything, but here's what I want you to know. It seems to me that we got to sit up and pay attention. And so what he says in the midst of this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, quite frankly, from the lips of God, that's not that surprising, I mean, we, we hear it all the time. I mean, in fact, let me just read you just a, a few passages of Scripture. I could read hundreds, I suppose, that deal with the very fact that Christians are to love. For instance, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Somebody comes to Jesus with this question. The answer, Jesus answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. How important is love? Love for God? Love for neighbor? It sums up everything. Everything you could read through the Old Testament completely. And the key point there is to love God and to love each other. It shouldn't surprise us that if God's going to say, no, above everything else, what I want you to do is love each other earnestly. John chapter 13 Verses 34 and 35, you know, this is Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. He's with his disciples, giving them sort of last instructions, telling them what's to come and so forth. And he tells them this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, Jesus is saying, what will mark you out, what will distinguish you from all the other people in the eyes of all other people is the fact that you love each other. People will notice that. They'll they'll see that. So the very mark of the Christian is that we love each other. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And so, it shouldn't surprise us that when God wants to speak to us and he says, here's above everything else, what I really want you to know here is that I want you to keep loving each other earnestly. Why? Because that fulfills the very heart of God. Not only that, but it brings assurance to our souls. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, he says, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. He says the thing that, that, that is assuring to us, that gives us assurance that we're really believers, that we've passed from death to life, is that we find ourselves loving the brothers, loving other Christians. And so when God says to us, above all else, love each other, earnestly, keep doing it, shouldn't really surprise us. But just because we're not surprised by it doesn't mean it's easy. Not real love. Because, you see, real love means I actually put your interests equal, perhaps even above, my own. Real love, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, means that I'm going to consider you and your interests more significant than my own. Now, we can say those words, but real love is a difficult thing because real love means a death must take place. I must die to myself. I must die to my own pride. I must die to my own self-centeredness. I must die to my own even desires so that I can work and move in such a way as to help you and to be concerned about your well-being. That's love. And that's a difficult thing. And so he says, above all, love one another earnestly. Now, the people in Peter's day would find loving even perhaps more difficult because they were going through a period where they were being insulted and harassed for their faith. Now, you may think that would sort of draw them all together, and perhaps it would or could or should, but the matter is, when stressful circumstances happen, we become just a tad more irritable. We find it just that more, much more difficult to look out for the interests of others when our interests might be in jeopardy. And so he's saying to a group of people who are being harassed and insulted, whose interests personally are being put in jeopardy, saying, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop focusing on your own situation so that you can be concerned about the well-being of others around you. You know, that's a difficult thing. You see, in their situation, as they're harassed and insulted by others, it may well be that they find themselves critical of others to think, hey, listen, you're not suffering as much as I'm suffering, so just take a back seat. Or it may be, you know, you need to be more bold for Christ, actually, so just get out there and do it. Or it may be, if you're being harassed for your faith, I would just as soon not be standing next to you. Now, I know you have needs, but I'll pray for you. But I won't come close to you. 
<clears throat> because I may be affiliated, associated with you, and it might look bad for me. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Above all, even in the midst of that kind of a situation, even when it's difficult, most difficult, love, keep on loving each other earnestly. Now, he gives us some ways to love, for instance, in verses 10 and, in verses 10 and 11. He says that we're to love in such a way as to continue to serve each other with the gifts that God has given us. In verse 9, he tells us that we're to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's the without grumbling part that's a really a problem. But he says, even in the midst of all of this, I want you to, to, to be hospitable to each other, to continue to, to, to be with each other, and to, to serve each other, and to welcome each other into your lives. We'll talk about those next week. But this week, I want to concentrate on this verse 8. Because he says, here's how love is to express itself. Love is to express itself in, in really forgiveness, in covering uh, a multitude of sins. A, a sin, as we know, if you've been around the Bible enough, you could give a definition of sin very simply to say sin means that you've missed the mark. Uh, the sin could be used very generically. For instance, uh, it could be used in box scores of basketball games. If you missed a free throw, then... If you were 8 for 10, you sinned twice. Right? Twice you missed the mark. You could use it when you get an exam back. If you got an 83, you sinned on 17. Right? You missed the mark on 17 of those points. If it's a Wednesday night supper and you're, it's your turn to bring dessert and you don't bring chocolate, <laughs> you've missed somebody's mark. You see. You've sinned, if you will. The missing of the mark. And Peter's saying, listen, we mark in each other's lives. So you must continue to love because love covers a multitude of sins. One of the great dangers is that, at least on a good day, that not bringing chocolate to a Wednesday night supper is a real... It feels like it to me. But, but I, I, you know, on a good day, I think that's probably not it. I've probably set the mark wrongly, and sometimes we set the mark wrong. I've met with many married couples over the course of their marriages and realized that their expectations are so high that there's no way that the husband, no way that the wife could, could really meet that expectation. And so while they feel sinned against, maybe they've set the mark uh, wrongly. So we need to be careful with that. There's a number of things that annoy us about each other. Think about it just a minute. You're, you're, you're saying, yes, I know. You're sitting close to someone right now. I should get a TV show. You're sitting close to someone right now who annoys you. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. We annoy each other in all kinds of ways. In the body of Christ, we annoy each other in all kinds of ways. Some people get annoyed because certain Christians have certain kinds of cars and they don't think they should drive that kind of cars. And just they feel like they've been sinned against. After all, Jesus drove, well, he drove a pair of sandals. But, but certainly, Jesus wouldn't drive that kind of car. You live in too big a house. I don't like the way you spend your money. I don't like the way you raise your kids. Your, your kids annoy me and how they behave. I don't like how you school your children. I don't, I don't like this, that, and the other thing. We, we, we can annoy each other in the midst of even even the body of Christ, but the truth of the matter is that we sin against each other. Now what I would love for Peter to say is, here's how love works that out. As you mature in love, then you'll be more considerate of each other, 
and being more considerate of each other, you won't sin against each other as much. Therefore, love, so sin won't be a, so much a problem against each other. Peter doesn't say that. So I want you to love because love covers a multitude of sins. And from that you get the impression a multitude of sins must be happening in the context of the body of Christ, even with our maturity. It doesn't seem we're growing fast enough in our own faith, in our own love, to be able to keep from sinning against one another. So he says, here's the antidote to that. You have to love each other because, you see, we do sin in all kinds of ways. We do lose our tempers. We do gossip. We do speak words of, that are unkind, or as the Apostle Paul would say, are not edifying for the need of the moment. We do manipulate. We do sin sexually against one another. Think of the ways that you've sinned against others. Think of the ways that people have sinned against you. And you understand, yes, it's a multitude. There's all kinds of iterations and variations and nuances on how we can be sinned against in relationships, in the context even of the church. And so Peter says, if you're going to make it, especially during times of harassment, if you're going to make it, especially during times of suffering, if you're going to make it, especially during the most difficult times, then here's the key. You need to love one another earnestly because, you see, if you're doing that, what you'll find will come from your heart is that you'll cover a multitude of sins. Because, you see, when... Peter's talking about covering sins. He's talking about forgiving them. In the call to worship that I read from Psalm uh, 32, if you were listening, or if you were here, um, call to worship happens at 1045. Let's see, uh, Psalm 32, verse 1. If I offended you, you'll forgive me by the end of this sermon, so I'll be just fine. Um... Assuming you love me, which you may not after that statement. Uh, Psalm 32, verse 1, uh, David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You see, when a sin is forgiven, it means it's covered. And that's a wonderful, a wonderful image of forgiveness, this notion of covering. Uh, recently, I painted a bathroom uh, in our house, uh, Huh? Be careful. I know. First service, I said what I shouldn't say now, which is that I painted it the color that uh, I painted it from the color I like to the color my wife liked, uh, which most men can appreciate. But that really isn't true. I actually like both colors. I just happen to prefer generally the color that's on the wall rather than the color that's in the can. Uh, <laughs> almost in every situation. But um, I look at the wall. I look at the can. I go. I think I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, my mind was changed. And so, I, out of love, I'm sure. But I had to cover the paint color that was on there with the new color. And, and the, the, the key there is to color it, cover it sufficiently so that when you now walk into the bathroom, you shouldn't see the other color. You shouldn't be reminded of it at all. So if you come to our house, don't look really carefully. <laughs> but, but you shouldn't be reminded of the color at all. And that's the sense of forgiveness, isn't it? The sense that when a sin is covered, then you shouldn't see it at all. You shouldn't see through it all, thus to discolor the relationship. 
That's forgiveness. But in another sense, you see, it also is a good image as well. Because, for instance, if you're going to the store and you're going to purchase something and it costs $10, then you need to take out a check or your credit card or $10, and you could put it down on the counter and say, that covers it, meaning that pays for it. And that's what happens, too, in the context of forgiveness. Someone must pay. Someone endures the cost. Someone endures the pain. Someone endures the hurt. And so when you forgive, you cover it in the sense that you're no longer going to see it in that person that has sinned against you, that has offended you. You no longer see it in them because it's, it's covered. It no longer seeps through to discolor the relationship. But not only that, you're saying, I'm paying. I'm taking the cost upon myself, and I, my love, really, is going to cover it. What I'm taking out of my pocket to put down on the counter to deal with this offense against me is love. i got enough love right here. I'll take it out, and I'll lay it here, and that will cover it. That'll pay. That'll take care of it. We don't need to go any farther with this. It's done. So Peter says, listen, in the context of your lives, in the context of a community of believers, all kinds of sin is going to take place. You know what's going to take care of a multitude of them? You know what's going to take care of many of them? You know what's going to take care of a huge, countless number of them? Is simply the fact that you love. And you're thinking, I think that's hard. Because you see, this whole notion of love is the heart of forgiveness. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we often read at romantic times, is a very difficult piece of scripture. Again, it's calling us to die to ourselves and to live for Christ, following the example of Christ and the power of Christ, to really give ourselves to others. Listen to these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. That means when I'm being really annoyed by you, I don't let you know. Patience only happens, you see, when you're being really annoyed. When things are going well, you're not being patient. You may be being other godly things, but patient isn't one of them. But you see, when you're really being annoyed by someone else, when they're being offensive, and you don't take it out on them. And they don't even know you're annoyed. Sometimes means you've left the room. That's being patient. You're being kind. You really desire their best. Love does not envy or boast. Happy when they have what you want to have, but don't. And you're genuinely happy for them. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way, even though you've been hurt. Love says, I don't need my own way. I can do what's best for you. It's not irritable. Um, some versions have not easily angered. Why? Because there's love there. Not resentful. Some versions have doesn't keep a record of wrong. Do you imagine how much memory, we would space, how memory space we would have, not in our computers, but in our brains, if we didn't keep a record of wrongs? If we could just kind of hit the delete button on record of wrongs, you could remember your phone number and stuff. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. To bear something means that you're carrying a burden because 
the offense has really been real and it's really hurt, but you're going to cover it with love. So you'll bear it and bear with this one who believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And you see this love in the context of the life of the Christian reflects itself in forgiveness. Just as significant as love is in the life of the Christian is forgiveness. And that is, one can't really be a follower of Christ, the scripture tells us, without love for other Christians. And in the same way, one can't really claim to be a follower of Christ unless one forgives. Let me read the passages. When we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, we pray this, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You see, there's no real good way to honestly and sincerely and genuinely and wholeheartedly stand in the presence of God asking for his forgiveness and having received his forgiveness and still holding unforgiveness towards others in our hearts. I mean, there's just something wrong with that picture. And so Jesus goes on to explain what he meant by that in a few verses down in Matthew 6, verse 14. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Meaning this, that if you're asking for forgiveness and not giving forgiveness, you don't understand forgiveness. You really don't even know what you're asking for. You know the story. Matthew 18, Scripture says, Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. You think Peter has some rabbinical sense that seven is a good number and that's the number of times the rabbis have always said you need to forgive somebody. So seven times, maybe it's only three and I'll give you seven. I mean, I'm just trying to find out how many I need to get to before I can not forgive anymore. So Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. You get the impression Peter would say, but, 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 I, but, but I lose count. And you get the impression Jesus would smile and say, yes, that's right. You'd lose count. You wouldn't know if you're on 297 or 325. Ah, you have to start over. He says, keep forgiving. You know the story that Jesus told to illustrate that. It's one of the most pointed stories, parables, in all of the scripture, because it just burns right through your heart. He says there's a man, a rich man, and he's owed by another man an enormous sum of money. 10,000 talents could be $6 billion. And of course, no one can pay, repay that kind of debt. In those days, uh, the gold in Solomon's temple wasn't even worth near that much. But the man said, don't worry, I'll pay you back. And the man says, it's all right, you don't need to, I forgive you. I forgive this debt of $6 billion. Then the man, you remember, goes out and finds someone who owes him a significant amount, but nothing close to what he had previously owed. The man owed himself about 100 days' wages, about a third of a year's salary. And he went to him and he says, pay me back. And the guy says, I can't pay you, I'll pay you Monday. And and, and, and the man who had been given, forgiven so much began to shake him and said, no, 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 you've got to pay me now. I'll throw you into the debtor's prison until you can pay every last dime. And you get the impression that everybody's listening to the story of Jesus and they're thinking, that's not right, that's really bad. And then said, Jesus said, that's the way my heavenly father 
will deal with you, will treat you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Oh, yeah. I think I get it. I think I know who's been forgiven the six billion and by whom. How can I withhold forgiveness from anyone once I've received such forgiveness? Forgiveness, you see, is part and parcel of love. It's part and parcel of being a Christian. Thus, Jesus would say in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, he said, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. He's saying, listen, when you're standing in the of God, receiving the forgiveness of God, and it comes to mind anyone you haven't forgiven, deal with it right then. Oh, you may have to go and deal with them on another occasion. You may have to go and ask their forgiveness. You may have to go and talk to them about the situation. But right there and then, in the midst of, 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 of that prayer time, purpose in your own heart, that yes, their sins are covered. Yes, I won't let it see through. Yes, I'll be in love. Take it. The Apostle Paul writes, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you, that is with the same heart, the same attitude, the same mind of Jesus to forgive because of love. Paul goes on to say in Colossians, you should bear with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you should forgive one another. Love, you see, covers. But you might say, does that mean then if someone offends me, if someone sins against me, I never have to go to them. I mean, I never should go to them. I should just sort of eat it. I should just sort of take it. I should just sort of say, okay, love covers it, and, and, and that's that. Well, in one sense, the answer to that is, is no. There are times when we're called to confront those who sin against us. For instance, in Matthew in chapter 18, Jesus gives us this uh, scenario. He says, Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So he says, you know, there are times if someone sins against you, go to them just alone and deal with it. And then in Luke in chapter 17, uh, in verse 3, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And so you get the sense there are times, yes, that we need to go confront. Take the offense to them and work it through. Receive them to hear them say, I'm sorry, to grant forgiveness in a very meaningful, though formal way. But here we get the impression from Peter that there's a sense in which, day in and day out, love is going to be functioning amongst us to cover all kinds of things, to cover all kinds of sins. In fact, John MacArthur uh, puts it like this. MacArthur, I don't like to preach, uh, to quote people who are alive. I don't wish ill upon him. But I'll quote him anyway. He wrote a decent book, a very good book, in fact, I would recommend to you called the Freedom and Power of Forgiveness by John MacArthur. You may want to pick that up if this is something you may want to think about. But he writes this. He says, in effect, the person who chooses to forgive resolves not to remember the offense, refuses to hold a grudge, relinquishes any claim on recompense, and resists the temptation to brood or retaliate. The offended party simply bears the insult. 
The offense is set aside for Christ's sake. For petty and unintentional offenses, this is the proper and loving way to forgive without any confrontation and without stirring any strife. He goes on to say this. This, I believe, is what Scripture refers to most often when it calls us to forgive one another. The heavy emphasis on forgiveness in Scripture is not meant to make us more confrontational, but quite the opposite. When Scripture calls us to have an attitude of forgiveness, the emphasis is always on long-suffering, patience, benevolence, forbearance, kindness, and mercy, not confrontation. In other words, our first instinct should be to cover it, if at all possible. Our first instinct shouldn't be, well, we got to talk, well, we got to go, well, we got to... No, our first instinct should be... Thus, MacArthur says this. He says, whenever possible, especially if the offense is petty or unconditional, it's best to let love cover it. He cites Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Where the apostle writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirits in the bond of peace. He says, I want you to learn to bear with one another. And that's going to happen day in and day out. In fact, you're going to show that you're maturing as a Christian when you can bear more in the context of relationships, when you can cover more on the basis of your love. You need to ask yourself, did the person really mean it? Is this really eternal? Is this really that significant? And then I would urge you to to perform this particular mental exercise. Make a list of all the times you think that you've offended others and they've covered it with love. I began doing that on Tuesday. I stopped sort of midday because that got painful. Just trying to think about all the sin in my own life that my wife and children have covered because they love me. That they haven't really confronted me about, but probably could have. But just I just realized they just said, that's just dad. And then I thought about you all and how many of my sins you must have covered over the last zillion years we've been together. I may just say, that's just Bill. He goes on too long. The room's way too cold most days. And other things. And I think, you know, if you can be so gracious to cover all of that, then should I not be so gracious to cover And there's something humbling about that. There's something that says, yes, okay, I see. There's a great line of John Wesley's. A man came to John Wesley one day and said, uh, Mr. Wesley, I have trouble forgiving others. Wesley returned this. He said, then I hope you never sin. Because you see, blessed really are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. MacArthur goes on, however, to say this. He says, if you're the only one injured, even if the offense was public and flagrant, you may choose to let love cover it still. That is, if it's really a flagrant, if it's really one that really hurts, really even a public one, it may well be that still, if you're the only one injured, if not, maybe you need to protect the innocent, but if you're the only one injured, there may be a benefit to you of still 
at least in a certain measure of these events, to let love cover it. And why? Oh, so that you can grow in patience, so that you can grow in long-suffering, so that you can grow in bearing the sins of others. The old mystics, and they were weird, but they had this expression. They spoke about suffering in silence. And it was a discipline for them. It was a discipline in a way that's as if you've been offended, if you've been hurt. Still, just cover it, love, and silently go on through your life so that you can know the sweetness of how God protects and defends us. So you can begin to realize what patience really is and what forbearance really is and what forgiveness really costs so that you grow even deeper in your own relationship with Christ knowing how it is that he has loved you. It's a great verse. Obviously, they're all great. It's a verse in John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The commandment of Jesus is to love each other. When we're forgiving each other, we're loving each other. And Jesus says, in the midst of that, I'll show myself to you. And so when we're bearing these offenses, we can have a sense of the presence of Christ with us that we may never otherwise know. Now clearly there are times when we must confront. For instance, we must confront someone who's offended us in such a way that if we don't confront them, they will be hurt. That if they continue to sin in that way against us or against anyone else, then then they will be harmed. Their relationship with God will be harmed. Their relationship with the body of Christ will be harmed. And thus you see, it's out of love that we go to them, not out of desire to punish them, not a desire to say, I'm right and you're wrong, not even out of a desire to go, you hurt me and this really hurts, but a desire to go to them for their own well-being to say, if you continue to do this, this will be bad for you. And so let me tell you why. And to confront and to say, please repent of this sin. There are many instances, of course, where that is most certainly true and where we must go to our brother and sister in love, in kindness, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, to those who have been caught in a transgression where they're in it, and how they need to be confronted about it. And you may be the very person that God has put in their place because they've offended you with that, and you observe that, and you say, I need to go to them for their own well-being. I can handle it personally, but for their own well-being, I need to go to them and to confront them with that. But any time, of course, that we cover sins with love, we need to make sure we cover sins with love. We don't cover sins with just silence. We don't cover sins by just ignoring them. But really, we take love and we apply it and we say, I love you. It's painted. I love you. It's paid. I love you. I won't see it. And you say, on what basis do we do that? Well, <laughs> It's right before us. It's right before us. Because you see, this is the very love with which Christ has loved us. It's the very way in which Christ has covered our sins. Certainly out of love, an amazing love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave himself as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Christ has loved us, and in loving us, his very blood has covered our sin so that it doesn't see through. We stand in the presence of God. Our sin doesn't seep through. It's so thoroughly covered that it can't be seen. And it's so thoroughly covered that it's been utterly and completely paid for. There's no debt. When God looks it up in the account of heaven, there's no debt at all. It's already been paid for. That's the love with which he loved us. That's how he's covered our sins. And he said, you see, now once you've been forgiven like that, then you're a forgiver. And you go and do likewise. And love covers sins. You remember the night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, our Lord Jesus took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this cup to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And we can't remember Jesus without remembering the very fact that in love, his blood covers our sins. And we can't remember the fact that his blood covers our sins without then thinking, when people sin against me, what should I do? Ah, I know. I shall love them as Christ has loved me. And this love shall cover their sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray even now that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart to enable us, to remind us of Jesus. That his blood indeed does cover, paints perfectly over, pays all the debt. Amazingly, as I think of all my offenses against you, because of the blood of Christ, none of them seep through. And I pray as one having been forgiven that I might be one who so freely forgives. So I pray that you would set apart this bread and this juice in such a way that we might encounter the very presence of Christ among us as we come to this table. And as we do, we might have affirmed and confirmed in our own hearts and minds that we've been forgiven. And that love might grow within us. It might even then cover a multitude of sins against us. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you that this table is not the table of Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but it's the table of the Lord, and he invites to it all those who understand themselves to be sinners in his sight without hope except in his sovereign mercy, meaning you understand that his blood has covered your sins because you receive and depend upon Christ as he's offered in the gospel, indeed as the Savior of sinners, the one who's covered it. And that it's your heart's desire now to live as becomes a follower of Christ, which is one who, having received forgiveness, forgives. 
So let me invite you to come. If these two sections will come down, this aisle to my left, these two sections down the aisle uh, to my right. You can make yourselves way back to the chair, your chairs any way you want to, bumping into each other, offending each other as you go. To remind you. And as you come, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and as you do, and as you eat it, you say, ah, my sins are covered. And then as you're making your way back to your seat, with all the people around you, think, oh yes, my love must cover their sins. Please come.